So if you read in the email, we're going to read a couple different sections. We're going to start in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will, need, <clears throat> you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. But it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him also be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And then if you could turn to John 13, please. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should <clears throat> depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have, <clears throat> excuse me, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You may be seated. Before we jump in here in the word, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, you are the king and we are your servants. You are God. We are your creations. You are the good shepherd. We are the sheep of your pasture. You are the mighty fortress, that bulwark never failing. And we take shelter in you as your children. You are the almighty God. You're the sustainer of all living things. And we ask, Lord, this morning that you teach us your word. Make clear what you would have us to know. Change our thinking that it might align to your thinking. Transform our wills that they might incline to your will being done in our lives. It's for your honor and glory we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to imagine this morning... Having the king of creation around you for two and a half to three years of your life here on earth. Knowing what you know about God in the flesh, about this person we know in the scriptures as Jesus, God's son. How might your life be lived out differently in his presence? Consider the king of heaven watching you day in and day out. How would that impact your stewardship of all things? Jesus is with you, watching you. Think of the savior of the world viewing your interactions with your wife and your children. How might his penetrating eyes make a difference in how you provide for those entrusted to your care? What if Jesus came to your place of employment? Would it make any difference in how you approach your work? Would you be inclined to show up on time? Oh, I was thinking about some of these questions and boy, some of them were like, yeah, yeah, they were hard. They were challenging to think about Jesus being with me, physically being in my presence, him watching me. Your conversation with colleagues. How might those conversations go and how might they be different if the Lord is sitting in on those conversations? Young people, what if God the Son, what if he came unannounced while you're working on a school project? What kind of heart would he observe as you complete this assignment? Would he detect any joy in you as you carry out your work? I'm hoping by now that you begin to see that being in the service of the king 
is a game changer. It's a life transformer. It's a contrast to the ho-hum doldrums that characterizes many lives around you today. And now the questions I ask all assume Jesus was physically with you, watching, observing, taking inventory of your movements, your actions, your thoughts, your motivations. You know, isn't it interesting how often we pick up and we read the Gospels at times and we wonder how the disciples wouldn't go all out with Jesus around them. You read the Gospels sometimes, I know I do, you probably do the same thing, and, and we're prone to go, guys, it's Jesus. Jesus is with you. Come on. And yet they don't fully grasp Jesus, do they? Being with them until he's actually gone. Have you ever thought about that? They don't fully grasp what it is to have Jesus with them until Jesus is no longer with them. Acts 2 is that line in the scripture, isn't it? When the Holy Spirit is poured out the day of Pentecost. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit abiding in them that fills these followers with life and renewed purpose. These disciples are not the same once the Spirit of Christ abides within them. The book of Acts, in fact, is a testimony to the power of the Spirit at work in the lives of those following Jesus. It's a church history book, isn't it? But it's not some dull history account. It's a church history book highlighting the work of the Spirit moving mightily through available vessels who saw themselves only always in the service of the King. The church of Jesus Christ has been fully equipped. We talked about that last week, right? The church of Jesus Christ has been fully equipped that she might live now in the service of the king. We spoke last week of what it is to be fully equipped by God and I want you to consider for just a moment being fully equipped by God and not living a life in the service of the one who equipped you. It'd be foolish, wouldn't it? He's equipped you for this life. We read in Ephesians 4 last week that one of the roles of the pastor teacher is to equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. But God is the one who's ultimately fitted us, ultimately equipped us to do his work here. And what a shame it is when his church doesn't do the work that he's equipped her for. The church has been called to live in the service of of the king. If you've got your Bible, I hope you have your Bible. I want you to look at your Bible this morning, Matthew 20. We're going to be looking specifically at 17 through 34 in Matthew 20. If you read Matthew 20 this week, you might have noticed some, some interesting connections in the text. 
And what I'd like to do this morning is, is simply draw your attention to the flow of text from 17 to 34. And then I'd like to draw some applications, a few visual applications at the end for us to remember and consider as we think about what it is to live a life in the service of the king. That's what we're going to do this morning. So when we look at 17, 18, and 19 of chapter 20 in Matthew, Jesus is traveling with his 12 disciples to Jerusalem. That's important. He's going to Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 21 is what we know as that triumphal entry, right? He's, what's what's going to happen on that triumphal entry? He is about one week away from dying on the cross, right? That clues us in what kind of time frame we got here, okay? We're real close to his triumphal entry, right? So they're en route to Jerusalem. And so what we see here is that he takes them aside in 17, 18, and 19. He takes them aside and he describes to them what is about to happen. And he says the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be mocked. He's going to die essentially a criminal's death on the cross. And three days later, he'll rise again. Now, I want you to understand something in Matthew's gospel, that this is now the third time that Matthew has recorded for us as he's moved by the Spirit. Third time he's recorded that Jesus has had this kind of conversation with his followers. The third time. Dads and moms, you know, when we talk about something and we repeat something, we usually do so because it's important. Yeah, it's probably needed, but it's also important. And I think in a very same way, this is the third time this is in Matthew's gospel. He's pulling them aside. He doesn't want them to forget where he's headed. He doesn't want them to forget why he came. I'm about to be handed over to be crucified on a cross. I want you to keep those sobering words in mind as you then go to verse 20 in Matthew 20. So in 20 to 24 then. We see James and John, and depending on which gospel you read, you get a different, little different version, a little different twist. But the Zebedee family, we'll just say that way, the Zebedee family, mom's in the picture here in Matthew. Mrs. Zebedee, she comes, by the way, the Zebedee brothers, remember James and John, remember them, the sons of Zebedee. Well, Mrs. Zebedee, she's uh, coming alongside her sons here. To Jesus, and notice that she kneels down before Jesus to ask him something. She obviously has something to ask of Jesus because in 21, Jesus beats her to the punch and says, What do you wish? What is it you wish? We read in the Bible, it says in verse 21, she says, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now, I push pause there for just a moment because 17, 18, and 19, those who were with Jesus had just heard him once more say that he was about to die. I can't help but think as I read what follows, Mrs. Zebedee and her sons are wanting to get in one big request before that time comes. 
If Jesus isn't going to be here, I want to make sure I'm still with him. If he's not going to be here. So, Jesus, can my son sit next to you in your kingdom? Well, that sounds like a great request. Moms, I'm sure many of you in here would, have, would put forward that same request for your sons and desire that for your, your sons to be next to Jesus. But I began wondering about the timing of this question and the motive for such a question. If you look at the Bible and you see what Jesus says in response to the question, Jesus says initially, you don't know what you ask. And he goes on and he says, to sit at my right and on my left is actually, it's not mine to give. But it's for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. It reminds me of Acts 1. Remember when they're asking about the times and dates and everything? And Jesus says, hey, that's not for you. Oh, it's not for, I don't even know. The Father's got that. That's his deal. Kind of the same answer here. This is the Father's doing. He gets to pick this one. Well, the story's not done. You keep reading the text. And you keep reading the text, and you see that eventually the other disciples catch wind of the question from the Zebedee family. Right? And you see it in the Bible. You see it in verse 24. When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. So they're not at all happy about what happened here. We got an unhappy group of disciples. Think about that statement for just a moment. Here they are, traveling along the road toward Jerusalem. And conflict arises in the midst of 12 disciples. Interpersonal tension begins to mount among these followers of Jesus. That's the picture. Jesus is about to die... And he's told them now this the third time, at least we have recorded for us in the gospel. And the disciples are squabbling over positions of what they deem to be greatness. Now, taking a step back to assess the situation, it's important to see just a couple of things here. Number one, the Zebedees are desiring to stay connected to Jesus. And I would like to ask the question, anything wrong or inherently bad, evil, wicked about wanting to stay connected to Jesus? Nope. Praise God, I hope all of us want to stay connected to Jesus. But I want you to notice where they want to be seated. In his kingdom. They want to be at his right hand and his left hand. And I would just ask why they need to be seated there. And what does the position have to say about their understanding of who Jesus is? This is so important. And what does it have to say about their own desires for a box seat next to Jesus? 
You know what box seats are, right? Those are the ones close up. And baseball, the box seats are right there, right there, close up, right there, right behind the plate. The best seats. Well, right after the conflict breaks out, I want you to notice what Jesus does in verse 25. We need to take good notes on this. This was so helpful to see this. But Jesus called them to himself. But Jesus called them to himself. (laughs) Huddle up, guys. Huddle up, he says. Come here. We need a bit of perspective on what's going on here. You know, in the game of football, the quarterback, the quarterback is the one who calls the plays. The team huddles around their quarterback. He's the main communicator oftentimes in the huddle. He's typically doing the talking. He's typically the one relaying the necessary information to those huddled around him. They huddle, listen, they huddle together to receive instruction. And when they break huddle and they go to the line of scrimmage, they go with an understanding of what the game plan is. The center knows when the ball's going to get snapped. The linemen know when the snap count is. The backs know their blocking schemes. The receivers know their routes to run. And the quarterback puts it all in motion with the right signal call, whatever it is, you know. Whatever the call is. And the ball comes. Boom. Now we're playing. Do we know the play? You see, Jesus is calling his disciples together in verse 25. And he's saying, huddle up, guys. We need to be real clear on some things before we get to Jerusalem. Based on what I'm hearing right now, we have several team members who've forgotten the play. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm about to die on a cross. You need some clarity on who I am. And you also need some clarity on what your role is here. Let's huddle up. I wonder, has the church of Jesus Christ neglected the play calling of their leader? Have we decided to call our own play? In football terminology, that's called a what? Audible. Audible. We just decided to run our own play. Think about the, the, the folly of his church and the parts of his body all deciding they're going to just run an audible and do it their own way. He's already given to us a game plan. He's given his word. He's given his instruction.
Have we decided to still call our own play? All to the neglect of moving the gospel up the field for Jesus Christ. See, the church is to be working together. We're called to be, as Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, we're called to be like-minded toward one another, that we may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Philippians 1.27, we're called with one mind to strive together for the faith of the gospel. That's what we're called to. So it's huddle up. Verse 25, huddle up. And he says, here's what you know and what you've seen around you. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Here's what else you know. You know that those who are great exercise authority over them. You you see that common word, over? Lord it over, exercise authority over. And then he says something that I think would have just rattled their cage. And it ought to rattle our cage. Yet this shall not be so among you. Now, he's getting to something. In fact, he's getting to something that was talked about back in 20 to 24. This whole issue of wanting a seat next to Jesus. He's he's getting to that point in just a second. He's saying, guys, this is how you carry out my game plan. And in verses 26 and 27, he's going to address that conflict issue that came out in 20 to 24. We're not lording it over. We're not exercising authority over. It, no, this, this should not be so among you. But listen to what he says in 26 and 27. Whoever desires to become great among you. You know, isn't it interesting when Jesus teaches, he doesn't have to actually bonk you over the head to help you realize that what you just said wasn't right. He doesn't have to bonk you over the head to let you know that your motive wasn't pure in what you just said and what you just asked for. He just simply says, whoever desires to become great, and that's what you were asking about, by the way. (laughs) Whoever desires to become great, what's he say? The Bible says, let him be your servant. And, verse 27, whoever desires to be first... Whoever desires to be great, whoever desires to be first. How many of you here want to be great? How many of you here want to be first? We've all said it. If we've not said it, we've all acted it out. More occasions than we'd like to admit, I'm sure. I want to be first. I want to be great. I want to have the biggest peace. And Jesus says, you want to be great? Be a servant. You want to be first? Be a slave. Now what the disciples hear in this huddle is not your typical run-of-the-mill leadership council. It's not your hierarchical CEO-driven play-calling Jesus huddles them together to put an end 
to this jockeying for position at the top. He's calling their attention to the bottom. Yes, to the bottom. Not the top. And he's warning about craving for the best seats. And teaching them what it is to be content, friends, with a seat. Be content. All this talk about becoming great and climbing to a position next to me in my kingdom. He says, listen up. Greatness isn't what you think it is. He says, I'm not who you think I am. Isaiah prophesied rightly about me that I am a suffering servant. If you recall, friends, I came in a lowly manger where the animals lived. Remember there was no room for me when I arrived on the scene? And if you're listening right now, you'll know that I'm about to die a criminal's death on a cross. I'm not leaving this world in the fully equipped table-side suites. And you need to recalibrate your thinking, friends, about what it is to be great. You want to be great? Jesus says, then you be a servant. You want to be first? Then you, he says, be a slave. Why a servant and a slave? Why does he pick those images? Verse 28 tells us, I believe, just as, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give, to serve and to give, to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the gospel. Don't miss the gospel here. He's huddled them together to set them right in their thinking, but he's also huddled them together to remind them and refresh them once more of the gospel. Friends, I came, he says, to serve and to give my life. Remember, he's dying. This is, he's coming back to what's already been talked about on three different occasions. He's going to die. And Jesus is saying to them again in the huddle, I came to give my life. Jesus huddles them together along the road to teach them something I believe that would prove valuable for the remainder of their lives. He came to tell them, in a sense, that I didn't come here to be served. I didn't come here to be one... uh, of the people that, that people would look at and they would, they would just be wowed by when they saw me. I'm not here. I didn't come to be the superstar that everyone bows down to. I came to serve. Paul says in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, speaking of Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Boy, we need to take that one to heart. 
because we think probably way too much of our own reputation. He took of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, taking the form of a slave, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to what? To the point of death on a cross. Let me ask you, are you here to serve? Now, I'm not talking about in this building. Although, no doubt, in this building you could serve. And I believe the Lord would have you serve. Are you here? Are you taking up space here on this planet? Are you breathing breath? Are you here to serve? Maybe we just need to practice carrying a towel around with us as a reminder of our need to be in the service of the king. Are you in this church family looking to use your skills and your talents and your abilities in the service of this king? Are you, as Paul says in Galatians 5.13, are you serving one another through love? We're going to talk a lot more about love next week. Are you serving one another through love? Are you in your home? Are you looking for? Are you asking of God how you might serve those around you? Are your eyes and your hearts opened to how this can impact the community where you live? Think about your neighbors, those who live around you, those who live down your street, those in your subdivision. How might you serve them with the love of Jesus Christ? Are you here to serve? The Son of Man came to serve. But the text says he also came to give, didn't he? To give. And Jesus explains to them that he came to earth to give, not a tithe, not a gift, not simply his time and his energies on a work project, a mission trip. He came to give his life a ransom for those who would believe and receive him as the Son of God. That song we sing about pardon. Pardon at the cross was multiplied to me. Remember that? He not only came to serve, but he came to give his life. He willingly laid down his life for you. And the proper response for his church is found in 1 John 3.16. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He came to serve and he came to give. And he gave a whole lot more than you and me could ever give. He gave his life. He gave himself. He spent his whole life. Through love, serve one another. Look at the text. I love this part of the text. Jesus breaks huddle in verse 29. Breaks huddle. Now as they went out of Jericho, it says, a great multitude followed him. Two blind men 
hear that Jesus is passing by. Notice they hear that he's coming because they can't see him. Right? Let's be real clear. They can't see him, but they hear that he's coming. They hear a big crowd. They catch that the name of Jesus is passing by. Jesus is coming. And they cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And I want you to notice what happens. The multitude warned them that they should be quiet. Now, I don't know. The text doesn't say specifically. But I highly doubt that the multitude was in the huddle. I don't think they heard the play. I don't think they got the instruction. The multitude missed out on the huddle. Jesus had just instructed them on, this is how we're going to live. This is who you're going to be. This is how things are going to change. It's a totally different way of thinking. And they break huddle. And these two blind men are crying out. They hear Jesus is coming. And the first time the cry goes out, the multitude warns them that they should be quiet. Are you kidding me? After what Jesus just said in the huddle, they cry out again. Look what happens. I love this verse. Verse 32. So Jesus stood still and called them. And he says something similar to what he says to Zebedee's mom. It's worded a little differently, but the idea is the same. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to die on a cross. And his two blind men hear that he's coming. They're crying out for him. And Jesus is walking and all of a sudden he stops. He stands still. And he calls these two men. He's just broken huddle with his disciples. And he's just called them to a life of service, a life of giving to others. And now what's he putting into practice right out of the huddle? Serving. What do you two need? Obviously, he asks the question knowing what they need. But he's wanting to hear from them. What is it that they desire? Oh, that we could see, Lord. Verse 34. Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight And they followed him. Now there's a whole lot there in those last three words. They followed him. I'm convinced of it. There's a whole lot there. Three words, but I think there's a load there. Think for just a moment about those two blind men who had been seated probably along that road for many, many days, many, many weeks, many, many months probably, perhaps years waiting for something to happen in their life so they could see, so they could finally see. And as great as seeing was, I do believe that following Jesus was much greater than seeing him. You see, because they found something they hadn't had in a long, long time. 
Church, this is a wonderful message for us. We see in 29 through 34 of Matthew 20, Jesus is running the play that he's just called with his disciples. He's running the play. He's carrying it out. He came to serve. And here are these two blind men with needs. Jesus could have just stopped. He, he, he could have just kept on going. He could have been influenced by the multitude that was around him at this time, trying to dismiss the blind men's cries. But Jesus doesn't continue walking. He actually stops. He stood still. He called to them, and he asked how he could serve them. How might I help you? And through his compassion and his love, he gave these men their sight that they never had. Listen, the same Jesus poured out his love and compassion on you and me when he went to the cross and he died. That's what he did for us. It's through his precious cleansing blood that he gave us the spiritual sight that we never before had. Those blind men were enabled to see and then they followed Jesus. Tell me, church, having now been enabled to see, are you following after Jesus? Are you living a life in service of the king? This life is characterized by being a servant and a slave. Jesus came to serve and to give his life. Turn with me for just a moment to John 13. And in John 13 is where we see that, that passage that characterizes the towel. Right? Chapter 13. Jesus, verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel. There it is. Took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, back in the day, that was a real, real unpleasant job because you know, remember those sandals they wore all the time walking through those dirty roads? Can you imagine how dirty them feet were? Jesus takes time to get up. Jesus is the master. His servants are there with him. But Jesus, as the master, gets up, gets a towel, pours water in a basin, and begins to wash his servants' feet. Pick it up a few verses later in John 13. End of 12, he says, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, be careful, listen to these words. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, for nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, friends, blessed are you if you do them. The master washes the feet of his servants. A servant is not greater than his master. If the master is willing to wash the feet of his servants, how is it that we think we can just get an exemption from service? We don't have to go low. We don't have to be that servant, be that slave. No, no, no. Jesus says, that's, that's the whole essence of what it is to be great in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And we could go down the whole Beatitudes. It's the spirit of humility. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Serve one another. Serve one another. Be willing to take up the towel. Listen, I'm afraid there are some in here who have no desire to take up the towel to serve anyone but themselves. If that's you, that's something that you need to take to the Lord and repent of. Christ has said that his church is to be a serving church. Christ has said that his church is to be children of his who, who put the towel on their shoulder, around their waist, and are always on the lookout for how they might serve those around them. Remember the passage in Joshua 24? Near the end of Joshua's days, he's old, he's ready to die. But before he dies, he delivers one whale of a message. It's a challenge, and I love it. Chapter 24, verse 15, he gets near the end of this challenge, and he says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served were on the other side of the, the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, oh, I love this. This was my uh, makeshift stake in the sand right here. If I had a, a little thing of sand, it, it, it'd work even better. I just stand right there. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what we're going to do. Joshua huddled the people together. And he calls them together and he says, hey, look, choose for yourself who you're going to serve. You can't have, the Bible says, two masters, can you? Choose. Who are you going to serve? Choose this day. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to walk with? Who are you going to live for this day? And what are you going to give up this day in order that you might walk and serve this king? Joshua makes the declaration, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
Is your household going to live in the service of the king? Men, this is, this is a servant leadership position that God's placed you in. He's given you a family. He's called you to lead them. Jesus huddled his disciples and he got really clear with them about the play. Men, it's time to gather our families. It's time to be really clear about the direction that your team is going. It's my heart's desire to huddle this church family, to be clear this morning about what God expects of his church. But here's a pivotal part of the text. This is always the challenge, I believe, for every single one of us. It's not the hearer part, it's the doer part. Amen? Huh? We're sitting in the chairs, and we can be really good at hearing what's being spoken. We do, oftentimes, a very poor job of doing and listen, you know what the Bible says when we hear and we don't do? You know what the Bible says that is? That, that what's going on, that whole process? We are deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. Jesus immediately broke huddle with his disciples and he showed them what it is to serve. He told them what they needed to be the servant and slave. And Jesus showed them what it is to serve immediately after breaking huddle with them. I love that. Listen, you can hear the message, but I believe it's time that the families here break huddle and they start serving the Lord. Start thinking about what it is to serve the Lord. It's time to start ministering to one another and shining the light of Christ outside these walls filled with wonderful hot air balloons. The church is to extend love toward one another. Yes, we're called to that. But the church is also to serve those around them. It's time to break huddle and run the play of our captain and our leader, Jesus Christ. And remember to take your towel. Remember to live your life, as Paul says in Romans 12, as a living sacrifice. Sort of a paradox, isn't it? A living sacrifice. A sacrifice back in the day was something that got killed. Paul says, you're to present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable, this is your acceptable act of service. That's how we're to be living, Paul says. Remember, you need to choose this day who you're going to serve. Who are you going to serve? As we consider serving, it's important what Paul writes about in Romans 12, 11, That whole list underneath the church, a whole series of directives. One of those directives says, not lagging in spirit, fervent, excuse me, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. And then lastly it says, serving the Lord. Well, we've got to remember the big picture. Who are we serving? We're serving the Lord. And Psalm 100 verse 2 says we're to serve him with what, friends? Gladness. Gladness. So I call you to make that declaration today to this church body that you're choosing this day to serve the Lord. Away with the other gods that you've been uh, holding on to, that maybe have been vying for your attention. You are choosing, I'm choosing to serve the Lord today. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be about serving the Lord. 
That's what we're going to do. We're going to be about him. We, he's given to us his instruction. We're breaking huddle. We're going to serve the Lord. So church, are you going to live from this day forward in the service of the king? Who's in? Who's in? Anybody? That sound good to anybody? Hey, it's a totally different way. I'm telling you, it's a totally different way of living. But I'll tell you this. When you put the stake in the sand and you make that declaration and you choose to serve the Lord, your life will be forever changed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminders in the scripture today. Thank you for what Jesus did with his disciples as he's en route to Jerusalem, huddling them up, teaching them, instructing them, and then shortly after, breaking huddle, he's modeling for them what this life of servanthood is all about. Father, I thank you that you've given to us a context to practice this servanthood within the body of Christ, your church. And may we break huddle. May we break huddle. May we not continue to remain in the huddle, but maybe break huddle and shine the light of Jesus for our world to see. They need to see. There's a lot of people in the world around us. There's a lot of relationships. I know sitting here in these chairs that a lot of people here know folks who are lost, folks who don't know Jesus, folks who haven't seen what it is to walk with Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that the light would shine, would just keep going out from this place, that we break huddle, we continue to talk about what Jesus is doing in our life, we continue sharing testimony about the greatness of Jesus and what he's teaching us. And as he's teaching us in the huddle of our own quiet times, as he's teaching us in the huddle of our own family worship times, May we break huddle, may we go out, and may we share this wonderful, glorious gospel with others who need to hear the message. Impress this upon us, Lord. I pray we would resolve to choose. Choose this day. May this body choose this day to serve you with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. And may you get all the glory for what happens as a result. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.